RPC Radio. Hello and welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, there is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. listening may have travelled to the United States of America and experienced a moment of confusion where you thought, but we all speak the same language, what's happened here? Before realising that maybe we don't all speak quite the same language. And that is definitely true of the tax and financial systems. Here to give us a crash course on the US tax system and how it might be working against you are Graham Privet and Alex Jones, partners at accounting firm Rawlins & Hunter. Alex has over 30 years' experience in navigating US and UK tax issues, including personal income, capital gains, social security, LLCs, estate taxes, inheritance, pensions, the list goes on. Graham also advises on a wide and diverse range of personal tax issues for UK and non-UK domiciled individuals, particularly those involving the US, crucially for today. And he provides practical advice to tackle these thorny issues. So, Alex, Graham, welcome to Taxing Matters. Hello, Alice. Hello, Alice. So, diving right in, Graham, but we do speak the same language, so what could go wrong. Yes, we do speak the same language, albeit occasionally with different spellings for things. The could go wrong is often I think people who speak the same language assume that everything is going to work exactly the same way in the other country. So Americans think the UK system will work the same way and vice versa. In our experience, whilst tax systems try to reach the same conclusion, they often do it by a different route and a different methodology. From a US perspective, the system is very much designed around the premise that anything that is foreign is generally regarded as alien. So anyone who is not a US person, i.e. a citizen or a resident or a green card holder is described as a non-resident alien, which pretty much tells you exactly where that part of the code will go and also how they will think about those individuals. Equally, the other premise for U.S. individuals, certainly living outside the U.S., is just assume that you're going to have to provide a lot of information. It's more to do with show and tell rather than hide and seek. (laughs) This idea of a lot more disclosure, which we really think is going to permeate through tax systems outside the U.S., it is the way forward for the U.S. They are very much leading that and expanding that as well. The other premise as well that we obviously need to think about is assuming that all of our terms mean exactly the same thing. Whilst we have in the UK effectively have come up with a concept under common law of trusts, the US has very much followed its own path in relation to trusts. Particularly individuals who come out of the UK and go into the US, we see time and time again that they create a trust 
in a local jurisdiction thinking that that has no tax consequences at all, only to find later on that actually what they've done is potentially walk themselves into a very serious UK inheritance tax issue. So, for example, an individual who retires to Florida, it's very common for people to put their assets into what's called a living trust, a revocable trust, as a probate avoiding mechanism in the US only to find that the UK looks at that in a different way, where you've got substantial assets going into that trust, that needs a careful consideration to ensure that you don't find yourself with a UK inheritance tax charge you haven't even considered. Thank you, Graham. So you've highlighted there some of the consequences, but Alex, really, why would this matter? It matters if you're American, and by that we would broadly mean citizens and also in almost all cases a green card holder or somebody physically present in America, somebody spending enough time in America to be regarded as a tax resident of America. And when we say America, we mean the federal United States of America and also potentially state or local jurisdictions in America who might also have the power to impose taxes. In addition to those individuals, we also mean non-Americans who have American stuff. So somebody who's got US stock, somebody who's participating in some sort of reward mechanism, somebody's in private equity or hedge funds or real estate and has carried interests and the principal entity happens to be American. So it's all structured for Americans. But it can also mean people who simply spend some time working in the United States of America. Again, we tend to assume that simply working in America will be fine as a treaty between the two countries. That means that can't possibly owe any tax in America, the accountant will say, when you say can't owe tax in America, do you mean the federal United States of America or do you mean the state or local jurisdiction in America? Because it could be different. It could be a completely different answer. Did you consider both of those? Well, no, I just sort of thought that probably it wasn't an issue. So the issue is that you might have US stuff or you might be an American. And if you are an American, and if you are an American anywhere on the planet, you have worldwide income tax. American income and gains are essentially regarded the same thing. So when I say income tax, we mean income and gains. So if you're American, you live in London, you still have to file the US tax return, you're still a US taxpayer, you still have to report and do everything else. But now you've made it more complicated for yourself, because you've involved British English in some of the financial things that you do. And those might be different. That's the why does it matter? These are legal obligations. You've signed tax returns under penalties of perjury. The US, as Graham mentioned, has a whole bunch of additional information reporting obligations, which are essentially designed to say, give us the foreign stuff that we don't get directly from the bank or the broker or the company because they're not American. So they don't necessarily have to give us stuff directly. Give us information in relation to all of those things. And because some Americans have historically taken some persuading to fulfill those obligations, the penalties that the US imposes as a result of the failure to comply with these information reporting obligations are generally far in excess of any lightly income tax or capital gains tax or certainly any interest or penalties that might apply on the tax itself. So there are very penal rules that say, if you don't play the game, if you don't show and tell, we're going to hit you with a big stick, and it is a big stick. In terms of differences, just to expand on some of that, Graham mentioned that trusts can be different, and you can fall into having things like trusts in America. If you live in California and you're buying a property or something and your lawyer doesn't say, stick it in some form of entity and stick it in some form of trust, 
for probate purposes has no tax effect in America at all. But you do that to make a couple of other things easy for yourself in the event that you die or easy for your family when you die. Then you'll end up with one of these funny vehicles. It might be completely ignored in the US, but the UK will look at it and go, that's interesting because we think that's a real thing. And because it's a real thing, it's got a consequence. That's at the more complicated end, picking stuff that's a bit simpler. In the UK, we have things called ISAs, individual savings accounts, which, as we all know, are tax-free wrappers in the United Kingdom. So why on earth would you think that they're tax-free in the United States of America, a completely different country, and they didn't invent them? Why would they want to specifically give American tax breaks to people who are British living in the UK? They didn't. And ISA, from the US point of view, isn't a tax-free wrapper. You must just look at it and go, it's some investment stuff. You made some money, it's probably some tax. So you can have to report it and you're going to have to calculate whether you owe something. If you have things like a principal residence, again, we all know that you buy a principal residence, you live in it, you sell it, the gain's exempt in the UK. But in America, they have a completely different rule. They don't do things like that. These days in America, what they do is they say, if you've got a principal residence and if you make a gain of up to quarter million dollars per owner and you don't sell properties more regularly than every two out of five years, then you'll get a quarter of a million dollars worth of exemption. But if you have gain above and beyond that, we're going to tax you. The UK is actually pretty unusual in not taxing any principal residence gains. It's ingrained in us. It's difficult for us to think that that shouldn't be the case everywhere else. It's not, and it's not in America. It gets worse than that. The US has a different currency to us, dollars. And if you were unfortunate enough to travel to America shortly around the time of the Brexit vote, as I did, and you somehow didn't think it was going to happen and therefore didn't realize that the exchange rate was going to change in the space of two weeks, then your dollars were a lot more expensive when you traveled shortly after the vote. And again, earlier this year, probably in the last six, eight weeks, there was a momentary fall in the value of sterling, 18, 20% fall in the value of the currency in the case of a matter of weeks. Everything they do is in dollars. So when you buy something, capital asset, they're going to say, how many dollars did you buy it for at the point you bought it using that exchange rate? How many dollars did you sell it for using the current exchange rate when you sell it? The comparison between UK and US tax, you could end up with a situation where you have capital gain in the UK when you sell some stock, a capital loss in America, because different currency. Or you can get a capital loss in the UK and a capital gain in America. And they're going to tax that even though locally you're thinking, I don't owe any capital gains tax in the UK, I've got no gain or loss, or I'm covered by my annual capital gains exemption, which the US, of course, doesn't have. So the US will go, no, you've got a gain in dollars, therefore you've economically made money, therefore you will owe tax. That's the rule set. When you borrow a mortgage, if you're American, the question you ask yourself is, how many dollars did I borrow in the currency exchange rate at the point of borrowing? Then when you pay it off, perhaps when you sell the property, you ask the question, how many dollars did I just pay off? How many dollars did I pay back over that debt? And the US will look at it and say, well, if there's a difference between the dollars you borrowed and the dollars you paid back, you either made some sort of income or some sort of loss in dollar terms. Anything that produces economic return from US point of view is income and is taxable. So if you're in a fortunate situation of borrowing £100,000 and exchange rates 1.5, and then you pay back the £100,000 and exchange rates 1.3, well, you borrowed $150,000, you pay back 130. That's less. So you economically are $20,000 better off in dollar terms 
Well, the US look at it and say, well, you made money. You sort of invested in a foreign currency debt. Somehow you generated 20,000 of return. So that will be taxable then. That's alien. I like the word alien because it really does say what that means. To a natural British tax thinker, that's really alien. I didn't do anything, or I borrowed 100, I paid back 100, nothing happened, no tax consequence in the UK, but in America, oh dear, actually, maybe I've generated income and that's therefore going to be taxable. So that's not in a nutshell, but why it matters, because it is just so, so easy to trip up because we don't speak the same language when it comes to tax. So Alex, how can you tell if you are in fact an American? There's the usual signs. You wear a big hat, thin leather tie, cowboy boots. Those are all good clues to American. An accent that we all recognize from watching movies, but in reality, in the legal world, the question is, well, were you born in America? Simply being born in America makes you a U.S. citizen. doesn't matter whether you apply for a passport. Passport's just a travel document. Born in America means you are American. And we have a very good example of a person in that situation. It's pretty widely reported in the press. So I can mention his name quite freely. It's Boris Johnson, so our soon-to-be former prime minister. Boris's dad, Stanley, used to work for some world bank or something, and he was seconded to America. And Boris was born in America, unlike, I think, his other siblings, and lived there until he was four before he returned to the UK. But it makes him American. So if he's American, he's got worldwide taxation and everything. And I think it came to head to do with a principal residence disposal where it became obvious that there would be tax due in America, even though there was nothing due in the UK, quite properly under UK law. Being born in America will make you American, whether you like it or not, unless you choose to do something about it, to do which we'll talk about later, but also requires you to be essentially the age of 18 or above. Other people can be American if your parent is American. If you're born outside the United States of America and both of your parents are American, you are American. You may never have set foot in America, but you are American. And all these same rules apply to you. The last group is not quite as certain as those two, which is maybe only one of your parents is American. And if only one of your parents is American, and if they spent enough time in America effectively during their minority, then you're going to be American too. So for that, it's fact-specific in terms of the immigration law that applied at the time that they were born and how much time they spent in America and blah, blah, blah. If you were born outside of America and one parent is American, you may well be American. As an industry, we tend to refer to those as accidental Americans. It wasn't their fault. They just happened to be on holiday in America when they were born or one of their parents was on secondment to America, or it so happened that one of their parents was American, that they were born in Kensington and Chelsea, uh, or Hammersmith, or wherever, and um, that parent had lived in America until they were at college years, then they got a job, was seconded to the United Kingdom, and 20 years later had a child, having married a proper Brit. It's really easy to be American, And sometimes it's actually quite hard to know whether you are or not. If you have a passport that says you were born in Boise, Idaho, then even a U.S. immigration officer is going to look at you and go, hold on a second, you're American. And yet you've given me this currently burgundy passport, which is not an American one. I'm looking for the the dark blue one, 
that we give to Americans, where's your one of those? It's that obvious if you're born in America that you're probably American. Even US immigration officials will spot that. So will your bank. When you send them your KYC or anti-money laundering information, you send them a copy of your passport, your bank will go, well, hold on a second, you were actually born in Cincinnati and therefore aren't you American? The exchange of information between different countries, as Graham alluded to earlier, requires lots of information to transmit back and forwards. And it's really important for accountants, financial institutions to understand who you are in a tax consequence. And one of those things is, are you American or not? Very easy for normal people to accidentally be American and therefore fall into the system. The other thing would be Brits acquiring US interests. If you work for a company in the UK and spend time working in America, we can generally assume that most people in that situation probably aren't exposed to US federal tax because of a treaty between the two countries. But actually, it's not uncommon, particularly in things like banks, that the offshore entities, or indeed the UK entities, in fact, a branch of the proper business that's somewhere else or the US entity is a branch of the UK bank. And as a result of that, the treaty doesn't quite work as well. And when you spend time working in America, that may actually be properly US federally taxable, as well as lightly state taxable. And the agreement between the two countries essentially then says, we can't exempt that income in America. What we'll do is we'll give a credit in the UK. So simply doing your job could expose you to a US tax consequence if you spend time working in America, in the same way that if you acquire assets or get rewards from your company, if there's an American involved, then you may have a US tax consequence associated to that. Thank you, Alex. Graham, is it possible to become an American without intending it? Yeah, there are. Almost an extension of the accidental American is being dragged in almost slightly voluntarily as well. So, as Alex says, working in the US will drag you in, certainly for state taxes. I think we generally pick two jurisdictions, two states that are certainly more aggressive than others, which is New York and California. And for those in the UK, tend to be the two jurisdictions you would probably gravitate towards. Apologies to anyone listening from either Illinois or Massachusetts or elsewhere. We don't necessarily see them quite as much, but both of those jurisdictions are very keen to ensure that people coming to work in their jurisdiction are paying tax. Generally speaking, you can get credit for state taxes paid on your UK return, but obviously that drags you into a system where you weren't necessarily thinking you had any obligations. The other point, you could be working merrily for a UK company and all of a sudden you're bought overnight by a US business, and we see that quite regularly. And that US business is structured in a slightly different way. If you have a shareholding in the UK company, you're exchanging it for something else. And what's the something else you're exchanging for? Is that a company? And that company's paying dividends or giving you some sort of income flow as a shareholder. That then brings you into potential additional reporting requirements there. And what happens if you sell those shares? Who's taxing that gain? Typically, it would be the UK, but actually... We often see businesses that operate over a number of jurisdictions potentially having UK resident owners with obligations to file in the US because that business has a very significant US footprint. The other obvious one is marrying an American. People move around a lot. Americans coming to the UK will marry Brits, but equally from a British perspective, the individual marrying an American all of a sudden finds that they've got 
other considerations. So they might own assets jointly. What reporting requirements around that, particularly the family home? As Alex said earlier on, the US wants to tax the gain. So one of the things that we often advise on is how to own that property between two individuals, one of whom is a US and one who is not a US person, structuring that perhaps a little bit more tax efficiently, particularly at the moment with a very volatile currency arrangement whereby you can end up with an economic profit without even making a profit locally on the asset itself. And the last one is more for the lawyers, friends that went to the US, got married in California, and then returned back to the UK, only to find that they got married in the community property regime. The matrimonial rules around that, and therefore the tax rules around that, are slightly different as well. This is where it gets very complicated, where you've got two legal systems butting up against each other. And often around life events, if anything happens to that marriage, then the tax consequences are going to be different from a UK or English law perspective in the same way domestically in the UK that we would look at that and the English rules and the Scottish rules are different. It's quite common to find ourselves delving into the actual legal rules in terms of community property or regimes and how they impact upon the taxation as well. So Graham, what can you do if you find yourself accidentally American? Is there a way to remove yourself from the US tax system? So long as you have citizenship elsewhere, by definition, an accidental America will typically do so. The US allows you to give up your nationality. Process sometimes referred to as renunciation or expatriation. That's done at a local embassy. Typically, for those living in the UK, it'll be in London. You can actually get it done in Belfast or in Edinburgh. And that is a formal immigration process whereby... You complete paperwork, that's checked, and then you go and have a formal interview to hand back your passport. From a tax perspective, that has also consequences. And for most accidental Americans, that is when you definitely want to take tax advice in advance. Firstly, the regime was changed in the US from June 2008 to ensure that When you left the US and expatriated, that you effectively paid tax on the way out on a deemed disposal of all of your assets. However, helpfully, there are some letouts, and those letouts particularly can help accidental Americans, dual nationals, only for those individuals going back to their other nationality from birth. So if it's an individual who was a UK national from birth and returned back to the UK, that can help. But the other requirement is that you're up to date with your tax and have been for five years. And this is where a lot of people tend to fall down. So you need to get the tax sorted out first and make sure that there are no issues, no houses that you've sold and forgot to pay tax on or mortgages you've repaid or ISAs you've got or any reporting, so information reporting. Once that's tidied away and you made sure you're happy with that, then you can think about expatriating. The other consequence is if you do fall into effectively a bad lever, the other sting in the tail for those individuals is that there is provision in the code for any US persons receiving gifts or bequests from this bad lever to pay inheritance tax on that. Now, that's was introduced as part of the code in 2008. However, 
we've never seen the way of collecting it. So that seems to be a little bit more up in the air. And anyone who advises on tax hates uncertainty. So our advice to clients is to make sure wherever possible that you tidy up all of your tax. And when you do leave, you're absolutely certain that there are no outstanding tax liabilities that can come back and bite you later on. Individuals that want to expatriate, they have to be 18 to be able to do it. It's an act that a parent cannot do for a child. Equally, if uh, an individual has lost capacity, they can't expatriate either. Uh, An attorney can't do that for the individual. There is a window between 18 and 18 and a half where the individual can expatriate, no questions asked. But again, you need to ensure that you've sorted out the tax parts because, again, the IRS isn't going to necessarily respect the fact that the individual is expatriated. If they have tax liabilities, they'll collect those tax liabilities. Thank you, Graham. Following on from that, Alex, what can you do to fix the problem? There might be a fix. Both the UK and US have really complicated, I long, tax legislation. And quite a bit of both systems is what do you do to try and fix if you've paid tax to a foreign country? Both UK and US have systems of foreign tax credits. If you pay tax somewhere else, we might give a credit. That might word is really important because Of course, we all assume that we understand intrinsically the direction that those credits will flow in. We don't. And that doubt is enshrined within the document that sits above the domestic legislation of both countries, which is called the Income Tax Treaty or the Double Tax Treaty between the United Kingdom and the United States of America, which is sort of the agreement between the two governments as to what we'll do in order to mitigate unacceptable instances of double taxation. Again, those were deliberate words. I didn't say prevent double taxation. You will notice mitigate unacceptable double taxation, which leaves the possibility that, yeah, you can still have double taxation, just not unacceptable double taxation. So often the direction of the credit is not the way you think. And that's particularly onerous for an American living over here, because very, very frequently, if they're taxable in both countries at the same time and the same stuff, the UK will win. But the problem is you don't file your UK tax return until after you've typically filed your US return because we've obviously got our fiscal year ended 5th of April. They've got fiscal year ends on 31st December. So typically you file the US tax return reporting the US income and it cause everything else. And then if that's UK wages, you'll claim a credit of the UK payroll taxes on the US tax return. But then you go, oh, look, I've got some bank interest in America. I'll pay tax not in America. I'll probably get a credit when I do my UK tax return in three or six months' time. Oh, no, you won't, cries the income tax treaty. It should be the other way around. And that causes a timing problem. And slightly bizarrely, that timing problem can become permanent really easily. It can take as little as a year of passage of time to basically say, well, you would have been able to get a credit for the UK tax against that US stuff, but because you waited too long, now you can't. You've got real taxation in both countries in relation to the same stuff at different points. But that's double taxation. That's 100 of bank interest, taxable in the UK at maybe 45%. Oh, but actually you can't get a credit for that because you didn't pay it quick enough. And so actually you've still got the 37% in America. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in the 70, 80% range of taxes on that hundred of income. So sometimes there isn't a fix 
particularly in retrospect. The mantra of all of this is be aware, plan for it. It's not simple. It's not straightforward. It's not obvious as to what the answer is necessarily going to be unless you spend a lot of time reading legislation. Plan for it, figure it out, and then potentially you can fix it, or at least you're in the best shape to fix it as best you can. But if you don't plan for it, the risk is that you end up in paying tax in both countries. And that's tax rates, as I say, in the 17, 80% type range. Aligning what you're doing in both countries is hugely important. If the thing that happens, let's call it the sale of the stock, if that's regarded in the same way by both countries at the same time, that's good because you've got the same event and you can work with that. And then maybe you need to get the timing of the taxes, which country do you really owe it in and which one should you pay it first in? And then you can align the taxing. But you've got to understand the risks. What happens if in the UK you've got something which isn't a recognized transaction today, but in America it was? Well, you're going to have US tax because of the US recognized transaction. And maybe in the UK we don't recognize that anything's happened until a little while later. And then a little while later the UK will go, oh, actually, yeah, something's happened and we can tax that. Now the two countries are taxing different things. So the US is taxing one thing and the UK is taxing something completely different in its mind. And both countries are sort of going, we think we've got the right to tax that stuff. And it's just that they're having two different arguments. It doesn't matter the intransigence or the futility of that argument. You're talking about two different things. It's alien again. So knowing the risks, figuring out the risks, when you know what the risks are, trying to align the risks, trying to align the actions, the only real way of fixing the issue. And ultimately, that means taking advice. Generally, it's quite specialist advice. Firms like ours, businesses like ours, we do both UK and US. Graham and myself practice both UK and US taxes. And that's important because we can mentally translate what's going on. You can do it with accountants in both countries. The problem is neither of those two, unless they're really experienced and work in this space quite a lot, will have any understanding of the other system. And they will, not always, but often fall into exactly the same trips that normal mortals that don't spend time reading lots of tax legislation fall into, which is, well, it works here, so it's probably the same, when hopefully what we've demonstrated is it's almost definitely not the same. It's almost definitely going to be different. The rule of thumb is when in doubt there's a problem, no matter how obvious it might sound that there isn't a problem in the United Kingdom, when it comes to America, there probably is. It probably is an issue. And it's probably not going to be nice to solve it. And particularly if a lot of time has elapsed between whatever it was and whenever it becomes reportable or obvious to the revenue authority, the longer the time has passed, the worse that it will become. So identify, fix, plan. Ideally, do it before the thing happens. And then you've got the best shot of trying to fix the issue or at least manage the problem. So, Graham... Alex, we're nearly out of time for today's episode. In the final moments, what would you say are the main things that people should keep in mind when considering UK-US cross-border tax matters? America is a really nice place a lot of the time. And so actually, we end up there quite a lot. It's very, very easy for Brits to spend time there. Therefore, it's really, really easy to fall into this stuff because somebody retires to Florida or somebody buys a holiday home. The issue is it's too easy to mess this up. It's too easy to fall into the trap that you need a fix for, because as countries go, we're pretty aligned in lots of things. So I think that will be the general message is it's really easy to mess it up. I entirely agree with everything Alex has said. I think one of the mantras that we use when dealing with UK, US, as certainly in relation to aligning things, is make sure that you pay the right tax at the right time to the right jurisdiction. 
which sounds really straightforward. And actually, once you've done the analysis, for a lot of things, it can be quite straightforward. However, the more complicated an individual's affairs are, the more difficult this becomes. So getting specialist advice, thinking ahead is also very important, particularly in relation to the here and now, but actually the longer term. We haven't particularly covered individuals' estates and what they might want to do when they're not here and how they might want to gift and how they want to engage with lots of things in life. The rules are different and getting advice up front clearly is the way forward. I think we're well used to dealing with that. Whilst the rules are difficult and occasionally we find that we have to make compromises, the hope is that you end up, certainly when it comes to planning, trying to ensure that you get the commercial outcome you want or you undertake the planning that an individual wants for their estate. However, it is complicated. Taking advice up front, I think, is always the way forward. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for in this episode. Alex, Graham, thank you so much for joining us and providing your insights on how the US and UK are less similar than people might think and how this can lead well-meaning taxpayers to stray. You can find Alex Jones and Graham Privet on Rawlins and Hunter's website and on LinkedIn. RPC would like to thank podcast manager Josh McDonald. Original score was composed and produced by Insider Music, who also produced this podcast series. To hear a full, uninterrupted version of our podcast theme, go to Instagram at Insider Music and follow the link in bio. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you like taxing matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered, which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and our website. If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe and remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again shortly.